Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you today from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we worship the Trinity and unity and unity and Trinity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. We have a creed so long you've got to sit down to get through it. We have a creed full of words that I am not entirely sure that the grown-ups in the church can define because, you know, Bible study attendance, not great. I get it, though. A lot of it seems like overkill. Can we just say, I believe in God? Is that enough? Because there are plenty of people who can love God just fine without Bible study. It's easier to talk that way, too. It's not just that it's easier to pronounce. It's friendlier. It's a lot more accessible. I don't want to say generic, but still, like, it can fit with country music if you live in a red state, and it can fit with indie music if you live in a blue one. It is just a lot less offensive. We can say one nation under God. We can say in God we trust, and most people usually don't get too mad usually. I mean, yeah, every once in a while, there's somebody who was hurt by religion that was done wrong, and they've got a problem with that. But by and large, most people are fine with the idea of believing in God. Honestly, I kind of like the idea myself because the generic God never actually makes you feel any worse than you already do. That's probably the most important part about him. There's nothing too weird about him. The rules are nice and non-specific, and God is always willing to hear for exceptions. Nicodemus thought so. He goes to Jesus by night because he actually wants some more. He says, we know you're a teacher from God. You do really cool stuff, so God must be with you. He wanted more. He loved God. But Jesus just tells him about baptism. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Thing is, John the Baptist already preached that sermon to Nicodemus and all the rest of the Pharisees. It was just a little bit too specific. You remember that sermon. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. Make a choice. You are in, you are out. The wheat is gathered in, the chaff thrown into the fire. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that Jesus right there, he brought it. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, God Almighty, who will bleed and die like a sacrificial lamb for you. The Pharisees all went out to see John. And it was because they loved God. They just couldn't quite swallow that sermon. Jesus colors in the lines to the generic God. Nobody can see the kingdom of God without baptism that you wanted nothing to do with when John preached it to you. Just talking about loving God is not enough. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless we keep this faith whole and undefiled, we will without doubt perish eternally. And that is just a little bit too black and white for most of us. So it's usually the part where we get real cute about being born again. Maybe do the whole lecture about why we baptize babies, even though pretty much everyone here is just fine with baptizing babies. It lets us skip over that elephant in the room that has everybody so uncomfortable, us, Nicodemus, even Jesus himself. Everyone's frustrated at how specific God is being here. 
He says, if I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And Nicodemus only went because he loved God. It's just that the generic God doesn't save. If we're going to be more honest, the generic God doesn't even help. See, the generic God is wonderful because he will never make you feel worse than you already do. But honestly, he will never make you feel any better either. Because he doesn't have any real answers. Just some vaguely soothing sayings that we are pretty sure don't actually mean anything. All of us have these things memorized. All of these little quips and bumper stickers about some generic God who just loves you. Some generic God who walks with you. Some generic God who won't give you anything more than you can handle. Never mind the fact that we wake up some morning so completely overwhelmed that we can hardly lift our head from the pillow, yet let alone figure out what we are supposed to do with our lives and our problems. These vaguely soothing sayings never actually paint a picture of the life that we see in front of us. They are great to imagine. They are great to imagine right with that generic God. But when we look around, we cannot find a single one of them. We just keep looking and looking and looking because as wonderful as they sound, they don't look like real life. So we'll go from one guy to the next who might finally have the answer. We'll come up empty each time until we finally just give up on the whole thing and kind of stop looking at all. Because All of those flowery sayings, they they sound wonderful. But they don't fix anything, do they? Honestly, they don't even acknowledge the reality of the problem that you're going through. I love them too. But at the same time, I hate them with every fiber of my being because I am desperate for them and I cannot for the life of them find them in the valley of the shadow of death. So we don't worship the generic God here. We worship the Trinity and unity and unity and Trinity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. We don't do the God who can fit into absolutely any context because he has no real definition in the first place. And it is offensive. It sounds rude. The people who talk this way just sound like they are screaming at you for a fight. Like we just are so desperate to say you are wrong about God or you're not even smart enough to believe in him in the first place or whatever you do believe in and it's not what we believe in. So you are going to hell and we are just so much better than you. It sounds like we are just desperate to make the gate that God already calls narrow even narrower because he is not discerning enough. I don't like fighting with people. And so I kind of get the temptation to just say, you know, relax. Because we all love God, otherwise we wouldn't have woke up on a Sunday morning and come here. And honestly, most people do. It's really not that hard to love God, at least until you have a very specific reason not to. Because he let a tragedy happen. Because he let somebody die. Because he does nothing but speak law that calls you a sinner week after week after week. The reality is, all of us have problems and sins and doubts and fears that those little soothing sayings just don't actually fix. We have all got sins so buried underneath shame and guilt and excuses and blame that we can't even name them out loud ourselves, let alone to our neighbor. And the idea that God sees them for what they are, even underneath all of the excuses and everything that we would do to hide it, that is just plain terrifying. The true God of scripture is terrifying when Isaiah comes into contact with him he loses his mind woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips the dude wants to curl up into a ball crawl away and hide because loving God is just a whole lot easier when he's not standing in front of you booming out holy 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 through angels with fiery swords 
Isaiah can't even deal until God takes action, takes a burning coal and sends a seraphim to touch his lips and say, your sin is atoned for. It's gone. It's forgiven. Only then can he send him out to preach peace to sinners, to tell them about the true God. Because that's who we believe in here. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yahweh, I am. And that's good news. Because whether or not we can fully get our heads around it, he is who he is. He is, no matter what you want him to look like, and no matter what you want to believe about him, he is who he is. And not liking parts of him won't actually change him. I mean, how big is your ego that you think that it would? That you think that just because you don't want to believe something about God, that it somehow becomes not true, as if God was Tinkerbell, and you could believe him out of existence. God is who he is, no matter what you want to think about him. So no, he doesn't always reflect your desires or your heart And no, it doesn't always matter what you want. God is who he is. But that's, again, good news. Because God is who he is, even when we fall short of what he represents. Even when we can't get our heads around him. And of course he would. I mean, God is bigger than us. That's kind of the point. Expecting Christians to embody the fullness of God is like saying that they are equal to him. If you really could be everything that God is, Your God is not particularly impressive. I would recommend a new one. If you really could get your head so completely around God that you understand every last bit of him, even though you can't understand how the internet works, I recommend a new God. The joy, the joy of God being who he is, whether or not we can somehow understand him or be what he wants us to be, is that even when we can't, we can't make him less by failing. How can you make God less by not living up to his standards? How can you make God less a God of love by sinning? How can you make God less a God of mercy by not fully understanding the depth of that love? How can you make God less a God of forgiveness by somehow not being able to pronounce a word in a creed? This is the joy. He is love and mercy. Even when you fall short of his demands, he is love and he is mercy that will not and cannot stay away from you, even at your lowest hour. This is the God who would take flesh to talk to Nicodemus by night. This is the God who would take flesh and blood to bear our sins upon the cross, bleed and die for me and for you, so that our very weakest and our very lowest, we would have a God who actually wants to help, to heal, to make better, and to save, to give us something more than just a vague, flowery saying that we love to repeat but cannot for the life of us find. Your God loves you so much that you might know exactly where to look for him, right there. Your God would bleed and die upon a cross for you that you might know the depth of his love, that you might know the depth of his mercy, that you might know that there is nothing in the world that you could do and nothing that can be done to you that would change that fact. God loves you so much that he would give his life to pay for your sins in precious blood, washing you clean, holy, righteous, and loved. This is what God looks like. Christianity is not about cussing less and maybe drinking less. It is not about vaguely soothing phrases that don't actually mean anything, let alone fix it. It is about the Father who so loved the world that he would send the Son to be lifted up 
like Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, that we would find life everlasting, not wherever we wanted to look, but right where he puts it for us to see, that we might rejoice, that water and spirit would come to us, opening to us the kingdom of God, that we might know as surely as we are baptized, we belong here. If we belong nowhere else, we belong here, not because we always manage to do what is right to fit in, not because we manage to look like everybody else, but because God has washed us clean in his holy and precious blood. This is what Christianity is. Your sins do not invalidate the living God. He forgives them, and they are gone, because God works however he wants. The wind blows where it wishes. You can critique the wind if you really want to, but it's not going to do you much good. You can get really upset about how specific God insists on being, but the joy is that you can always know right where to find him. And more, you can know that he loves us too much to bail upon us now. He loves us too much to sit in heaven, watch us suffer, and drop down a flowery phrase that doesn't mean anything. He draws us to himself, even right here in worship, even right now. We sing the very same songs as the angels, holy, holy, holy. We sing the same songs because they're singing along. We sing the same songs because all of heaven joins in. We join together in a triune mystery that we cannot possibly understand, through sacraments that we cannot possibly understand, because Christianity is about being something bigger than ourselves. And it doesn't always make sense. And that's fine. The triune God makes every bit as little sense as bread and wine being the body and blood of Jesus. But a perk of being God is getting your way. And so when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, we take him at his word and rejoice because eating it and drinking it brings forgiveness and life and salvation. It brings peace. It brings hope. This is who God would be. The God who gives himself to sinners, to me, to you under bread and wine, in water and in spirit, to make us a part of something bigger than ourselves, something that saves, something that is beautiful, something that is love. Because if love was such a small thing that you could comprehend it completely, it wouldn't be worth near as much. It wouldn't be near as beautiful. This is who our God is, the Trinity in unity and unity in Trinity. And we know right where to find him, upon the cross in the waters of your baptism. He forgives. He has mercy. He brings you into God's kingdom because he loves you. So if you feel like you are falling apart, if you feel like you have no control and no answers, you are a part of this now. Not inside of yourself, but in him. You are what he has made you here. You are forgiven. You are holy. You are loved. You are righteous. You are good. All of it because you are washed in water and spirit. You are baptized. It is not measured in yourself, but in him. If you want to see it, look to the cross. Know that it is yours. Look to the font. Know that you have been washed in it. Take and eat. Know that God is good. Sing with everything else that God has joined together in him. Angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Know that he loves you so much that he would unite you to himself in a bond that even death itself could not destroy. He will raise you back up even as he himself is risen. This is the creed that we confess, not from our heart, not from our mind, but from our God. And even if it's a mystery, it's still a true one. But more than that, it's one that brings peace. It's one that brings life. It's one that brings hope. And that is yours. You have water. You have the spirit. The kingdom of God belongs to you. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your heart and mind unto life everlasting. Amen.